Hi, thank you for listening to Kingdom Exhortations. This teaching is one of my favorites. It's the story of Jesus talking with the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. All Jesus wants to do is bless this woman, and yet she continually talks back to Jesus, refusing to budge from her mindset. It's like she's stuck in her particular way of thinking, and I can't count the number of times in my life that I have done this very thing, that I have gotten stuck on one thought and failed to see the bigger picture, the blessing right in front of me, just like this woman. Jesus responds to her insults and hostility with blessing, and thank God for that. I hope this teaching blesses you at least as much as it has me. Well, good morning, and uh, welcome to this third teaching of Kingdom Exhortations of our extended teachings. Again, I want to thank everyone who has been participating in studying these and listening to them and giving their feedback. It really has been very, very helpful. Today, we're going to discuss uh, a well-known story in uh, John 4, The Woman at the Well. It's a long teaching. It's 38 verses. It goes from John 4, verse 4 to verse 42. I'm going to go ahead and read it now, and then we'll get right into it. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. 
Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him some food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefit of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Very good. So back to verse 4. You see many remarkable things in this teaching. You always want to remember when you come to, to study the Word of God, when you come to read the Word of God, we want to keep in mind we're not just reading it so that we can be entertained by a good story. We want to remember that Romans 15.4 tells us that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. It's not just written to tell us a good story, but to instruct us. As well as 1 Corinthians 11.6 tells us that these things are written down as examples to us. So when we look at the story, we want to see what's here to, as an example to us, what's here to instruct us. Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is perfect and he never changes. So how he behaved in these situations and in the principles in these situations is how he'll He'll behave in our lives. The blessings or discipline that we see the Lord dish out will be similar in our lives. The situations will be different, but the character of God never changes. Romans 2.11 says that God does not show favoritism to anyone. There are some incredible principles here. You know, you'll go through the story and you're going to see a, a half dozen or more things that are remarkable. You see in the story that a woman is coming to draw well coming to draw water from a well at around noon. It says the sixth hour, which is around noon. She's alone. Scholars have postulated that's because, you know, she's been ostracized by the town. The reason is, is that she's had five husbands, as Jesus said, 
And now she's with a man that she's either not married to or, uh, or the man has another wife. So, you know, she's been, you know, no one will, will talk to her in the town. You can see very clearly here that she is, uh, she's angry. She's hurt. She's frustrated. You know, we'll find here that she is contrary to Jesus three to four times. She's hostile. Um, we're going to see an incredible patience in Jesus and how he deals with these things. And we're going to contrast that to our own lives. And then you're going to see an incredible ending. You're going to see a woman come to Jesus who at the beginning is incredibly hurt. A woman that's been used up by five men and now is being used by another man. And at the end of this, this woman is going to be the evangelist that leads the whole town to Christ. Jesus tells her to call one man and she's going to bring the whole town to Jesus. Not a likely candidate to lead a whole town to Christ. Not a candidate certainly we would often pick. So we're going to unfold this story and really see, you know, how did it come about? We're going to do it in two parts because it is a long story. It is, uh, again, it's 38 verses. So we'll try to get through somewhere around the halfway point this time. And then we'll do the next podcast and finish it off. So verse four, now he had to go through Samaria, verse five. So we came to a town in Samaria called Sikar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Verse 6, I believe, is the most pivotal verse of the story. Verse 6, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey. Sometimes... Oftentimes, uh, the journey of life gets tiring. We have long days. We have long weeks, long months. Man, we can have long years. There are seasons of life that are, that are just tiring. They wear on us. We get tired emotionally. We get tired physically. Um, we're just worn down. And this is one of those times. Jesus is tired physically, obviously. And he sits down by the well. He chooses not to go with the disciples to buy food. Verse 8 says that the disciples had gone into town to buy food, and he just he's just going to wait there. Undoubtedly, uh, he would have known that this opportunity for ministry was coming. But this whole story hinges on how well do you do when you're tired from the journey. When I get tired from the journey, uh, my patience runs thin. I'm much more easily frustrated and irritated. As I said in the last podcast, I've been struggling with eczema, and that causes me to be worn out from, uh, from the journey of life. That causes me to be more impatient in everything. Sometimes the best opportunities for ministry will come when we're tired from the journey. Now, why the Lord does this, I mean, I don't know. Um, I, can, I can postulate on it, but uh, here... The, Jesus is going to minister to a, a clearly a very hurt woman, an angry woman. As I said, a woman who has been used up by five men and now is being used up by another man. And he's going to do it when he's already tired. He's not going to receive a warm welcome from her. He's never even going to receive the one simple request that he asked for. So I'll say again, 
Verse 6, Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, is, a, is an immense lesson for us today. How well do you do when you just get tired from the journey? Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Verse 8 says his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then the parentheses of the scripture here wants to give us some historical context. I have found that the scripture will often give us the historical context that we need. Sometimes we spend immense amount of time studying historical, geographical, contextual context, and all those things have some value. But generally, I have found that when the scripture wants you to have historical context, it'll include it. And here, uh, John includes it. It says in parentheses for Jews, do not associate with Samaritans. Uh, Samaritans um, were a were were people where were uh, were were Jewish people were were mixing with Gentiles and marrying Gentiles and having offspring, and so by they were they were considered uh, racially inferior to Jewish people because they were a mixed breed. Samaritans had a tremendous amount of hostility toward the Jewish people, and the Jewish people had immense hostility toward the Samaritan people. So there are tremendous uh, racial tensions here. So the first thing we, we see and, and, and truly admire is that Jesus is not going to entertain these racial tensions. Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Apparently, Jesus uh, isn't concerned with this. Jesus isn't going to follow the protocol of these racial tensions. How often do we do? God is no respecter of persons. He's no respecter of color. He's no respecter of race. He's no respecter of nationality. Wherever you go, we are all human beings made in the image of God and ought to be respected as such. Jesus is going to pay no attention that this is a Samaritan woman. Again, Jews would never speak to Samaritans, let alone a Samaritan woman, let alone a woman that's alone, let alone a woman like this who has a bad reputation. But Jesus isn't concerned with any of this. Jesus isn't concerned with his reputation. And that is an extremely powerful point here. Oftentimes, we don't want to be seen talking to a certain group of people, let alone an individual. Our heart needs to, to see the heart of Christ here. We need to see the heart of Christ and we need to emulate it because Jesus isn't concerned what this looks like. Jesus isn't concerned that she's a Samaritan woman. Jesus isn't going to bow to the traditions of that day or the racial tensions of that day because it's sinful, because it's not of God. That's an, it's an extremely important lesson for us today in the church. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jesus makes uh, a very simple, a humble, and a reasonable request. He's sitting down. It says that he sat down by the well. Undoubtedly, the woman comes and she's standing. She has her bucket and she's ready to draw water. And Jesus makes a simple request. Most of us, if not all of us, would be beat right here. What do I mean by that? The conversation would be over. When you make a simple request, and more importantly, when you make a simple request when you've been tired from the journey, 
It's been a long day, a long week, man. It's been a long month, a long year. You're worn down. You're tired. And you just make a simple request like, will you give me a drink? And not only does the woman not give him a drink, she has to tell him the rules. She feels led to, to explain to him that we don't talk, right? Why are you talking to me? We don't talk. Why are you even talking to me? Try to imagine yourself in that situation. Having a long day. You're tired. Jesus is apparently tired and thirsty. And you just make a humble request The woman is right there at the well. She has her bucket. She's there to draw water anyway. It's a very simple thing, right? For her to show just a degree of courtesy, a degree of any degree of compassion at all. She doesn't have to go out of her way to do this. It's a very simple request. And she answers him with such disrespect. She's more concerned with why he's, why he would break these traditions, why he would not follow the understanding that we don't talk, buddy. Why are you talking to me? The vast majority of us, if we were in this situation, this would be the end of the conversation. We would have said something to the woman in kind because we're not going to be disrespected like this. Not to mention at the end of a long day when I'm tired from the journey, you know, I'm already at my wits end. I could be coming home It could be a long day. And if I make a simple request to my wife, someone I know and someone who loves me for 20 years, and if, if, if she doesn't give me the answer I want, I often can, uh, I often can be, be angry in return. It's remarkable here how Jesus responds. You notice Jesus does not meet her where she wants the conversation to go. He doesn't even respond to it. He doesn't even acknowledge it. And he, and he doesn't own the disrespect. She's clearly contrary to him, but he doesn't receive that in himself. As we grow in Christ, as we mature in Christ, one of the telltale signs that we're growing and maturing is how offendable we are. It's often been said that the more offendable a man or woman is, the more immature they are, right? We're supposed to be crucified with Christ, right? Dead men and women don't get offended, right? If we're dead to ourselves and alive to Christ, we don't get offended. If Jesus gets offended here, the conversation is over. The woman leaves. I had uh, one brother in Christ. He's an elder in our ministry. And he said, no, no, no. I not only would not... The woman would not have gone away in the same condition. I would have sent this woman away in a worse condition because I would have responded in, a, in kind. Most of us, when we're treated disrespectfully, most of us, when people are contrary to us, particularly when we're making a very simple request and when we're tired from the journey, most of us are going to respond in kind and say, okay, lady, whatever. Just, you know what, forget it. And the lady would have taken her bucket and left, and she would have left the same hurt, angry, broken woman that she came. But not with Jesus. When you just look at this, it's just, it just makes you want to fall in love with Jesus all over again. This guy's just, 
Jesus is just the coolest dude ever, man. I just, it just, uh, it just moves my heart. What true love looks like. Are you over, are you willing to overlook an insult or a slight or a disrespect because you love someone more? Are you willing to be a blessing when someone's being disrespectful to you or contrary to you? Or are you just concerned about how you're being spoken to? Are you more concerned with about yourself? We have so much pride in our lives that it's almost impossible for the majority of us to overlook any slight, any insult, any disrespect. We universally almost always respond in kind, insult for insult. We're generally more a part of the problem than we are the solution. Look at the love of Christ here in the heart of Christ. This is, Jesus is God. He's tired. It's been a long day. This is a woman who's living a very sinful life. She's condescending to him. She's disrespectful to him. She tells him, basically, why are you talking to me? We don't talk, buddy. He won't meet her. He won't take the conversation to that level. As a matter of fact, he just completely ignores it. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus basically says to her, I understand. You don't want to bless me? Well, let me bless you then. (laughs) And again, I will say that this is just the coolest dude ever. When I put myself in this situation... It's been a long day. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I make a reasonable request. I get slapped down. I get told no. I get told, why are you even talking to me? And then instead of getting frustrated and irritable, Jesus says, okay, well, you don't want to help me. Let me help you. How often are you willing to be a blessing to someone when you've asked for something that you want Are you willing to give them what they need if they reject you? Are you caring and loving enough to bless someone else when they've rejected you, when they've disrespected you? Very few of us are at this place. This entire story is going to go on and you're going to find Jesus as an unoffendable man is going to win this woman to Christ. He's going to win this woman to himself. This woman is going to, when this woman comes to Jesus, she's an angry, hurt, bitter woman, right? Has been used and abused. She's going to leave the conversation with Jesus and lead an entire town to Christ, because not only of what Jesus says, but because of what he doesn't say. Because, because he's, he's clearly unoffendable. His pride doesn't get in the way of the necessity to see her heart changed. And boy, do we need to, to grow in having that kind of heart for people. Boy, do we need to die to ourselves and our pride and our need for respect so that we can, like Jesus, be a blessing to others. Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God, she clearly didn't know who he was and who it is that asked you for a drink. 
You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water is the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God uh, will deeply and thoroughly satisfy all the thirst of our soul. Not our body, but of our soul as we pursue the Spirit of God, right? As we engage in the Spirit of God and the Word of God. He's called living water here. The Holy Spirit is called living water, the Spirit of Jesus. And the Spirit of Jesus will satisfy the deep thirst of our soul. And nothing can satisfy us except the Spirit of Jesus Christ, who we receive when we receive Jesus as Savior. When someone becomes saved, if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, when you ask Jesus to come into your heart and to be the Lord of your life and save you from your sin, at that point, the Spirit of Jesus or the Holy Spirit will come into your heart. Jesus will join his Spirit to your spirit and you will have life. Jesus said, unless a man be born again in the previous chapter, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven when speaking to Nicodemus. Now, ironically, Nicodemus, like this woman, is, is always looking to the natural, right? Uh, we're the same way. We're always locked into the physical and the natural. This woman in verse 11 is going to say, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? So she's locked into the natural, right? She, Jesus is speaking about spiritual things as he often is, but she can't see that. And, and we're often the same way. Jesus is continually wanting to show us deep spiritual things that'll be an immense blessing far beyond quenching our temporary thirst. Getting a drink of water here, you know, he'll be, he'll be thirsty again in a few hours, right? But if you'll engage and receive the Spirit of God, not only for salvation, but then if you'll walk with the Spirit of God, the deep longings of your soul, the thirst of your soul will be quenched now and for all eternity, something natural water can never do, right? Verse 11. So I'll say again, back to the fact that now this is the second time, verse 11, the woman is going to be contrary to him. Jesus doesn't need, as a side note, Jesus doesn't need a natural bucket. She doesn't understand that. But, you know, Jesus doesn't need anything. Jesus can get the water out of the well because he's Jesus, right? But she's going to be contrary to him again. You know, when you read this and step back, it's, it's actually a little bit amusing, right? The first rebuff she gives him, the first rebuttal is, why are you talking to me, buddy? We don't talk. Why are you even talking to me? You and I, we don't speak. Jews and Samaritans, right? Like I said, almost all of us are defeated there. He tells her, okay, you don't, you don't want to bless me? If, you know, you can go ahead and ask me and I'll bless you. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? She basically says to him, you can't help me, buddy. There's nothing you can do for me. As a matter of fact, you need me to help you because I got the bucket. <laughs> um... I'll say again, when, 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 I, when I step back and try to put myself in this situation, I'm beat, okay? All right, I've overcome the first objection. I haven't cowered to her disrespect the first time. And now the second time, I tell her I'll be a blessing, and she tells me why I can't be a blessing. 
You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Jesus, again, won't meet her where she wants to go in the conversation. He's not going to let the conversation go down this road. He doesn't respond to it at all. Again, more often than not, the best way to bypass a conflict is to not even engage in it. He doesn't respond to it. And then verse 12, she really starts to take it deeper now. Her third uh, rebuff of him is going to be the strongest. Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? (laughs) Now she's leaning into him. As a side note, does he have his drink yet? The man just asked for a simple drink. It's been a long, long day. Lady, I'm tired. Can I just have a drink of water? He doesn't have his drink. But apparently Jesus is not so much concerned with what he wants or with what he needs. Apparently he's far more concerned with what this woman needs. And that's a lesson for us that's invaluable. Generally, our concern is our needs. I'm tired. I'm thirsty. I need a glass of water. And that's where our focus is. Jesus is tired and Jesus is thirsty, but his focus is on this woman's soul. Boy, is there a lesson in that for us. Lord Jesus, help us today, man. Help us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. You know, in verse 12, I might have said, as a matter of fact, I am greater than your father, Jacob. I'm greater than his father and his father after that and his father after that. I'm the big dog, lady. Notwithstanding, I'm not Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Because again, what's she saying to him? She's clearly saying, you know, listen to you talk, buddy. Who, Who do you think you are? You think you're greater than Jacob? So she starts she starts name dropping, right? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Sometimes we we like to name drop big names, right? Big powerful people. Are you greater than so and so? Do you have no more knowledge than this big dog over here? Do you know more than the CEO knows? Do you know more than the president knows? Do you know more than the prime minister knows? Do do you know more than the senior pastor knows? Because to look at you, you just would look like an everyday Jew to me. Well, matter of fact, he is greater than her father, Jacob. He's greater than everybody. He's the son of God, God himself. Thank you, Jesus. But he won't respond to this either. Again. I remember uh, when I was new in the faith, one of my first spiritual fathers, you know, pointed out to me that Jesus never responds to a position he doesn't hold. And so the proverb says a soft answer turns away wrath. Often no answer will turn away wrath, right? So you see that Jesus here again is not going to take the bait. He's not going to take the conversation to a completely unproductive level, let alone a hostile level. Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. He's just cool, right? 
He doesn't even get into, are you greater than our father Jacob? Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 14. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Again, she's thinking about the natural. Jesus is speaking about spiritual things. He's speaking about the spirit of God. We want to drink deep. As Christians, we first have to become a Christian and receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. And when you do, you'll receive the Spirit of God. The Spirit of Jesus will come and join himself to your spirit, and you'll become one with the Spirit of God. You'll be part of the, the body of Christ. You'll be the bride of Christ because you'll be married to the Spirit of God. Your spirit and the Spirit of Jesus become one. When you ask Jesus to come into your heart, the Spirit of Christ or the Holy Spirit gives your spirit life, spiritual life, and now you are forever joined to the Holy Spirit of God. You're forever one with him, the Spirit of Jesus. Again, you are now part of the body of Christ because you're one with the Spirit of Christ, and you are the bride of Christ because you're married to Jesus. Your spirit and Jesus' spirit are married. You're one with Jesus. And now after we become a Christian, you want to fully give yourself to the Spirit of God. You want to walk with the Spirit of God. You want to study the Word of God because the Spirit of God will always come alongside the Word of God. Jesus says you'll never thirst. When you have the Spirit of the living God, one with you, one with your Spirit, you have endless fountains and springs of water so that your soul need not ever thirst if you'll apply yourself to the Spirit of God. Thank you, Jesus. Golly, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> yes, Lord. Man, golly. Now, the woman here, she's, uh, you know, maybe whether she's sincere or not, there's a possibility she's mocking him, verse 15, or that she's just saying, I'll take what I can get, buddy. She doesn't understand what he's saying. Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So uh, the possibility is that uh, maybe she's mocking him and says, all right, buddy, go ahead, show me what you got. Uh, I mean, you're talking a big game here, or maybe she's sincere. Maybe she's saying, you know what? I'll take what I can get. I don't like coming out here. It's hot. It's work. Either way, her response is impious. Either she's taunting him and saying, all right, you're talking a big game. Show me what you got. Or she's saying, you know what? Go ahead and give it to me. I'll take it. I'll take whatever I can get. At this point, she really has no idea what he's saying. She still thinks he's talking about natural water. As I said, we consistently tend to look at the natural Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Again, she's thinking about natural things when Jesus is speaking of spiritual things, as is, is more often than not the case. Jesus is almost always wanting to do a deeper work in our soul. Jesus is not just wanting to satisfy this woman's physical need. He's wanting to satisfy a much more deep and important need, the need of her soul. This woman needs to be saved. She needs to receive Jesus as her savior. And that's his end here. More often than not, almost always, Jesus is wanting to do more than just meet your physical need. 
Many of us have physical needs today, whatever they be. We may, we may have emotional needs. We may have spiritual needs. We may have financial needs. We may have relational needs. Jesus is almost always wanting to do more than just meet the outward need. He's wanting to, to meet a deeper need in your life today. He's just not wanting to quench your physical need and give you a drink of water because you're going to be thirsty again in a few hours. He's wanting to, to meet deeper needs in your life. And if you'll apply yourself to Jesus today, he'll meet the physical needs. But more importantly, Jesus is the only one who can meet the needs of your soul, the deep needs of your heart. This woman, by the end of this story, is going to go away healed and whole because of who Jesus is. And we can do the same today. We can come. We can apply ourselves to Jesus. And you know what? We can even be hostile to him. You can be contrary to him. Maybe you're bitter today. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you've had five husbands. Maybe you've been used and abused by people. Maybe you've been disrespected. Maybe you've had husbands who have treated you poorly. Maybe you're frustrated and irritable. I'll say this, when I look at this story, regrettably, I act more often not like the woman than I do like Jesus. Now, this story is here so that we can repent of the ways we act like the woman and we can act more like Jesus. When we see this ministry here, this is a model for how we need to minister to people, how we need to overlook disrespect given to us. But today, you can come to Jesus, you can even be frustrated and irritable, and he'll listen to you. He's not going to engage in the, in the silly things. You know, he knows we're frustrated, he knows we're irritated, but he's always going to point us to the truth. He's going to point us to life. He's going to point us to a spring of water welling up to eternal life because his concern is for our soul. His concern is for your spirit and your soul and, the, and just the fulfillment of your heart at the deepest level as well as for your physical needs. Verse 16, in order for Jesus to get there, He's often going to have to confront us in order for Jesus to get to this place where he can help us truly. He's going to have to bring to the front some things in our life that we're holding on to. He's going to have to call our sin to attention. And uh, that's not fun in the church today. We don't like talking about sin as much and I don't enjoy it myself. But Jesus is going to bring her sin to the forefront here. Verse 16, he told her, Go call your husband and come back. It's interesting he says this because he clearly already knows she has no husband. So we'd ask ourselves, why is Jesus asking her this question? And the obvious answer is he wants her to, he wants her to, to come to him and confess her sin. He wants her to acknowledge the areas of her life where she's not, not living correctly. And Jesus is saying the same thing to us today. Jesus is wanting you to go to him and confess to him that which is wrong in your life. As Christians, we need to consistently come to Jesus and, and tell him what's not in line with our lives. And, and he'll hear us and he'll forgive us and he'll cleanse us. Not for salvation. 
right? You get saved by receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But even as Christians, we can still come to Jesus and ought to come to Jesus and confess to him the things that are out of line in our life. He told her, go call your husband and come back, fully well knowing she has no husband. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. Now, verse 18, this is going to be the first time that Jesus says this phrase. And then we're going to wrap up here for uh, part one. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have had no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man now, and the man you now have, is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. You notice he doesn't say at any other time, You are right, or what you have just said is quite true, because This is the first thing she said that Jesus will acknowledge that she's right about. She was not right when she said, Jews and Samaritans don't talk. Yes, that was the culture. That's how everybody acted, but it wasn't right. So you notice Jesus didn't say you are right in your behavior there. This is, ironically, the first time he affirms anything that she says is to affirm the fact that You are right when you say you have no husband. And then he really brings it home. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. When she says, I have no husband, it's clear she's, you know, she's wanting to to just give a partial truth there, right? She would make herself out to, to either be a widow or a virgin. But, but Jesus doesn't let it stop there. And he's doing the same in our lives today. How often we want to, uh, we only want to give partial truths, right? We need to confess the whole truth to Jesus. And oftentimes, by his mercy, Jesus will bring it right to the forefront, whether we're trying to hide it or not. He tells her, you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. Which is to say, either you're not married to him or he has another wife. She's either sleeping with this man without being married to him or she's sleeping with a man who has another wife. He's not your husband. What you have just said is quite true, Jesus said. This is going to now turn the whole course of the conversation. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet and her hurt is going to come out here. It's going to come fully out. Jesus has overcome her hostility. He's overcome her anger. He's overcome her bitterness. He has never been insulted. He has loved her enough to to not take her rejections. He still doesn't have his drink, does he? But he's concerned about her soul. She said, Sir, I can see you're a prophet. Verse 20, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Again, the racial hostility is still coming through, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. We really have to set aside our racial hostilities. It gets in the way of everything. It does no good at all. Verse 21, Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. 22, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Jesus is Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. Salvation is from the Jews. 
Verse 23, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And I think we'll get into a little bit of that next time. But in verse 25, it says, The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. The woman's faith is correct. Her faith, the Bible says, the entire Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, the entire 39 books of the Old Testament prophesied that a Messiah would come, that a Savior would come. Just a quick lesson here on on uh, Old Testament, New Testament salvation, as there's a lot of confusion on the issue. The same cross has saved everyone, whether you lived in Old Testament times or whether you live now in New Testament times, whether you lived under the Old Covenant or like today we live under the New Covenant, the same cross has saved us all. There was no different way of salvation. You notice the woman says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. Okay, so the entire Old Testament prophesied from Genesis 3 all the way to the last book of the Old Testament in Malachi that a Messiah would come. And so in the Old Testament, you were saved by putting your faith in the Messiah who would come. You and I are saved by putting our faith in the Savior or Messiah who has come. In the Old Testament, they looked forward to the word of God. They put their faith in the word of God that a Messiah would come that had yet not happened. So they looked forward to the cross in the Old Testament. You and I have put our faith in the word of God in the Messiah that has come. We look back to the cross. So the same cross saves us all. The same Savior, Jesus, saves us all. This woman shows that she has faith in the Messiah that would come, Jesus. You and I have faith in the Messiah that has come, Jesus. This woman was putting her faith in looking forward to the cross, you and I have our faith looking back to the cross. The cross is the central point of all human history. All salvation, anyone who has ever been saved, will ever be saved, are all saved at that cross. The only difference is before Christ came, you had faith in the Messiah that would come. You and I have faith in the Messiah that has come. So hopefully that makes sense. So we'll wrap up part one right here and we'll finish this up next time. Verse 26, then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. I can just imagine the, that situation. Imagine the woman's heart at that point. And Jesus reveals that he is the savior. He is the Messiah that she's been waiting for. So we'll wrap that up here and we'll end in prayer. Father, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for the lessons here. We thank you for your mercy and goodness on our lives. Father, we love you. We bless you and we thank you. Father, we're overwhelmed with the insights of the word of God. But above all, Father, we're overwhelmed with Jesus. Father, I, I, I ask you to help us this day to be more like Jesus, 
Father, I confess that, that I would not have won this woman to Christ at this point in my life the way Jesus did. But I ask you to help us one and all, Lord, to follow this manner of ministry. By the time this story ends, Lord Jesus, this woman is going to be saved. Her soul is going to be saved and she is going to be used to lead the entire town to Christ. A woman, Lord, who had five husbands and, and now was with a man that wasn't her husband. Perhaps with someone else's husband, you are going to use to lead an entire town to yourself. This woman is used to lead the entire town to Jesus. And perhaps that's us today. Lord Jesus, I ask you to, to open our eyes, to heal our hearts. Lord, I thank you that you're showing us that whatever our past is, you don't hold it against us. Help us to come to you today, Lord. I thank you that you're saying to us, as you said to this woman, I who speak to you am he today. Lord, speak to us today. Open our hearts that we might hear you and receive from you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Kingdom Exhortations. For more information about our ministry, please visit www.kingdomd.org.